Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 255, recorded December 10th, 2016. So today's a sad day that we finish off our DC run with uh, Volume 1, Annual Number 3. Mm-hmm. Yep. The last trick on DC that we haven't covered. Right. And it's kind of a bittersweet love story, which is the last thing I expected in a Star Trek Annual. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's quite good. I liked it. And then the next uh, issue we're going to do is a uh, has two stories, but it's uh, John Burns. New Visions, number three. Right. The first one I like, the second one, not so much. But it also was a little bit of a, a love story. Yeah. thought it tied in well to this story with the uh, with uh, the annual. Yeah. So, with that being said, you want to just uh, jump into it since they're both kind of long issues? Yeah, they are long, aren't they? So, we only have two, but they are long. So, this is annual number three. Uh, it's titled Retrospect, published date September 1988, creative team Peter Davids, the writer, penciler Kurt Swan, inker Ricardo Villagran, letterer Janice Chiang, colorist Michelle Wolfman, editor Robert Greenberger. In the center of the cover, Scotty is kissing a lovely blonde woman. They are both wearing the halves of a broken heart pendant. On the bottom left, Scotty is at a control panel with his girlfriend standing behind him. On the bottom right, eight Starfleet officers are paying their respects to the person occupying a coffin. Text tells us this issue is all about Scotty's true love. The issue opens with Captain Kirk getting some fencing in with Mr. Sulu while McCoy looks on trying to get the captain's attention. McCoy is concerned with Scotty. Since he came back from leave on Space Station K-12, he has looked like someone shot his dog or something. He has been locked up in his quarters, mostly. After Sulu disarms the captain by taking advantage of Kirk's tendency to overreach in his attacking thrusts, Kirk and McCoy go to Scotty's quarters to see what is wrong. They find a slightly belligerent Scotsman with two empty bottles of scotch in front of him and a gold heart-shaped pendant in his right hand. Scotty opens up about what is wrong. A member of his family has died, which is distressing enough, but the family member was his wife. Shocked at the fact Scotty has ever had a wife, Kirk feebly asks when. Not sure exactly when the captain is referring to, Scotty says they got married about five years before that con business, and his Glynn died while they were exiled on Vulcan. She died in a stupid shuttle accident. Most of her belongings went to Glynn's sister, except for the heart-shaped pendant that she wanted Scotty to have. Kirk and McCoy give Scotty their condolences. Scotty asks them to see themselves out of his quarters. He wants to be alone for a while. Kirk and McCoy leave, and on their way out, ask Scotty to call them if he needs anything. 
Scotty lays on his bed for a while, thinking back on Glynn. She was the love of his life. The others he was with pale in comparison to her. He thinks back to his nephew, Peter Preston, and how he died in the line of duty, making the Scott family incredibly proud of him. Scotty's sister blamed Scotty completely for Peter's death. She even struck him across the face during the funeral, with family all around to witness the outburst. Glenn stepped in and defended Scotty, and spoke of Peter's bravery, stubbornly staying at his post while the others ran. He was a hero. Glenn always knew what to say. Dana, Scotty's niece and Peter's sister, who was also in Starfleet, walks up to Scotty to tell him she is going to review the tapes of the accident. If there is anything that Uncle Monty could have done to save Peter and did not, God help him. Savick tells Scotty he did all he could do to protect Peter and all of the engineers under his command. Scotty says perhaps she's right, but I will never believe it. Further back in time, Scotty thinks to their five-year wedding anniversary. Scotty was distant back then and lost in thought. Glenn knows something is wrong. She asks Scotty if he is planning on leaving. Scotty admits he is struggling with the decision to return to the Genesis planet with Captain Kirk in hopes of helping Dr. McCoy that has been extremely troubled since Spock's death. It comes out that Scotty and company are going to borrow the Enterprise to get back to Genesis. Scotty asks if Glenn will be here when he returns. She says no. They are very pragmatic about it, but agree to part ways over a shot of scotch neat and a dance. A much younger and thinner Montgomery Scott arrives home to his sister Franny's house. Scotty's nephew, Peter, and niece, Dana, are right behind their mother, rushing to their long-absent uncle. Scotty's home after Starfleet decided to embark on a major refit of the Enterprise. Franny talks about her concerns that Peter will be following his uncle off to the stars. Scotty promises... If he joins Starfleet, he will pull strings and get Peter posted with him. He will watch over him. Franny plays matchmaker by telling Scotty that Glynis, his former girlfriend, is back in Glasgow, and Angus has walked out on her. Scotty finds her painting in a beautiful windy location by the water, with several grand buildings in the distance. Scotty rekindles the romance with much effort. They truly belong together. He even proposes to her, right there. She turns him down due to her recent divorce and the kind of life Scotty leads. She says she will wait for him to return from his next five-year mission. She also very much wants him to grow back his mustache. Scotty remembers further back to when he unexpectedly found Glynn living at a colony on Beta Nairobi II. He also finds out she married Scotty's former best friend, Angus. A fight happens between Scotty and Angus. Finally, Scotty leaves, embarrassed and full of regret for letting his childhood love for 20 years to finally marry that lug of a man, Angus. Scotty remembers even further back when he and Glenn were together and very much in love. But the bug for adventure in space had already bit Scotty. After three months on a civilian ship, he returned to Glynn on Earth. 
They plan to spend weeks together on Earth, but when he receives word he has been accepted to Starfleet, he starts packing his bags immediately. She recognizes Scotty will go into space, and she cannot join him there. They leave on good terms, but with great regret. They dance together before other more intimate activities. Scotty's thoughts travel yet further back to when he is a teenager with a thin and wispy mustache and a manly kilt on. He ends up with Glynn for a dancing partner at the local fair when his friend Angus swoops in and steals Scotty's date. Scotty is not happy with Glynn for a dance partner because she is much younger than he is and unproven as a dancer, as far as he knows. But when they hit the dance floor, they really click and end up winning the competition. Glynn ends up giving Scotty half a broken heart necklace that day that they both keep well into their advancing years. Scotty's thoughts go further back another eight years when Scotty first met Glynn, when she was a wee lass riding her anti-grab scooter. Angus and his ruffian gang tried to take her scooter from Glenn for joyriding until Scotty stepped in to put a stop to it. Angus and the other two attack Scotty and has him dead to rights when Glenn sneak attacks Angus from behind and between the two of them set the cowards a-running. It was that day when Scotty came to save her, like a shining night that Glenn first fell for Scotty and never got back up. The End So she knew at six who she was going to marry. Six or five, yeah. For at least for at least five for at least a five year contract. Oh God, yeah, I didn't mention that, but yeah. So later when they're breaking up, they talk about contracts. You know, like instead of being married or something, they talk about contracts. Well, we don't have to extend the contract or whatever. It's like, oh my God, you do contracts instead of marriages in the future. Well. I, I, I guess it's an extension of what, what, prenuptial agreements, I and mean, we got those today. But. Well, maybe that's the the future's workaround of divorce. So you you enter a marriage, but you have a time frame, and you can't get out of it, right? So it's a contract. It's well, but, you can uh, break a contract. Not these; these are unbreakable. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I bet Cher would find a way to break it. Sharon Greg Altman, many people, many people would find a way to break them. Anyways, that was, that was a little odd, little, little non-romantic, just uh, when she's, because at first when she's saying that, I thought she might have been kidding, because he's like not listening to her, and she's like, so uh, it's our fifth year anniversary, and he's like, that's nice. You're right, yeah. And then she's like, well, I was thinking maybe we should uh, talk about renewing our five-year contract, that's nice. Maybe we should make it 10. That's nice. I think I'm going to go naked and cluck like a chicken. That's nice. <laughs> so I thought, well, maybe maybe this whole extending the contract thing is just her trying to snap him out of it like the, the naked chicken thing. But maybe she was real. I don't know. Yeah. It kind of sounded like it might be real. but Right. Especially when they say that this is it. They're, 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 they're not going to stay married. So Right. Which is really... You know, it, it's the same old story. Basic incompatibility in the way you want to live your life. But, oh my gosh, I mean, these two were meant to be together, and she is so cool. It's amazing, and she's beautiful. And she's, you know... Oh, Scotty. 
So important that you were on the Enterprise, but man, um, you let you let a great one go by. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So a shuttle accident. That's how she died. Yeah, apparently. They didn't go into details, but yeah. Okay, so when I first saw the cover of this, because of course that's the first thing you see when you open up the uh, the file and um, PDF file, and I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, "Oh my god, it looks like a Harlequin romance novel." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh my, yeah, this ain't for me. This is this is a chick story." It's like, ah. So uh, anyway, so but it's got Scotty in it, so let's give it a whirl. And I gotta say, I kind of liked it. It was pretty sweet, you know. Um, yeah. so Peter David, he knows how to write a story. Um, so I liked it. Although, right. my Lord, <clears throat> um, the sister and, and her, and her daughter, it's like, right. geez, you guys, like, gotta lighten up. I mean, I know you lost your son and, or, and, or brother, but it's like, right. geez, it, ugh. I well, mean, he even, was, yeah, even well, later, he, go, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> Even when even when they go back and you see that Scotty promised to watch after him, I mean, come on, it's Starfleet, it's dangerous business, right? Yeah, well, I mean, he was beating himself up too, so I wasn't. Oh. Uh, I, I I could see him doing the same thing. Well, but, you know, those, those Scotsmans they they run hot. Well, they may run hot, but uh, the sister and the niece made it even worse. I mean, Scotty's going to have enough guilt. Without having it laid on by these two. Anyway. Right. Right. Especially the sister. I mean, come on. You're in Starfleet. You know how dangerous it is. Anyway. And I'm, I'm going to watch the uh, the monitoring feeds to make sure if there was anything you could have done. Good Lord. Talk about yeah. addictive. And the whole time I, he's talking about that, I keep thinking of something that he could have done that might have saved his life. Oh, what? Okay, so remember, Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Things exploding. Poor Peter gets a bunch of shrapnel in the chest, whatever. Mm-hmm. Scotty scoops him up and takes him to the bridge for no reason. Oh! <laughs> well, supposedly he was dead, so... Yeah, I, I I agree that that was just, no that was, was just dramatic because then they go to sick bay with Kirk, and that's when Peter uh, picks his hand up and grabs Kirk by his tunic to give those uh, the bloody handprint that moves around for the rest of the movie, <laughs> and he says, "Oh, really? I didn't remember permission that." Permission to leave or something like that, and Kirk says, "Permission granted," and then he like Ugh. or something. I can't remember exactly what happens, but he good asked point. Kirk good point. Before. That's a good point, man. And it's always bothered me. I'm like, why did Scotty go to the bridge? Well, because that was dramatic. <laughs> oh, it was dramatic. That's what, the, that's what the story called for. But good point. Very good point. That may be exactly what Peter David is talking about here. Yeah. I kept thinking maybe they, they would actually mention that, but they didn't. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously Peter David has proven he is very much a fanboy. So he's seen all these things. And so... That maybe that's something that bugged him too, right? And he worked it in the story. <laughs> anyway, more drama. Mm. So uh, a lot of uh, intimate moments in this issue, more than a normal Star Trek book. 
gives us. Oh, yeah. Well, Scotty's true love. Well, and Angus is too, because... Uh, oh, he, that! In, in, <laughs> you kind of glossed over it in your synopsis. Yeah, right? well, my, wasn't my synopsis a bit long? <laughs> but yeah, so there's a scene where Scotty barges in because he hears uh, he hears Gwen crying or or making noises, and he's automatically assuming that Angus is roughing her up. And even Kirk's like, I don't think that's what it sounds like. Exactly. <laughs> and Kirk would know. And then Scotty literally kicks down a door and finds them entwined in the bed sheets and uh Kirk and then yeah, obviously Scotty's like, uh, I think I think we should go. But uh yeah, but, and, yeah. and what does she say? She says, My apologies, Captain. I've always been a bit enthusiastic. It's like, Oh my right. god, Scotty <laughs> She's even better than I thought she was and you let her get away. Anyway. Right. So it is funny that, uh, you know, um, all these recent issues um, with DC Volume 1, they, they've been alluding to other random uh, episodes of the show. So, like when uh, Scotty says that, you know, who his ex-wife was, mm-hmm. and Kirk says, oh, that woman we met on whatever, whatever, I was right. like, oh, this is harking back to an episode, and I cannot remember what episode they're talking about. So then, as we keep going further and further back in time, when we actually saw what how Kirk met her, right? That's when I was like, "Oh, okay, thank goodness," because otherwise, it would have really bothered me if I couldn't remember <laughs> what episode what this was from. Exactly. Yeah, there was no mention of this woman. I don't remember ever. You know, in right. the mo- in the previous in the movies or the TV series. So, right. I mean, as far as I knew, other than little little dalliances from on spot scotty's part here and there it was really only O'Hara we saw him kind of uh flirting with right in star trek 5 yeah right right this predates star trek 5 so yeah exactly but what i'm saying is no, I, there was never no, a right. scotty romance story or, no. or hints at it nope so i like the jokes about the uh the gray pajamas oh yeah uh-huh when uh when when the kids, the little nephew and niece say something about it, he's like, Oh, if I know Starfleet, we'll be wearing these forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> no you won't. <laughs> Thank God not. Well what do he say, like ten years or something? Yeah, something like that. Now it took him a while to do the refit, right? Uh years and years to get the refit done, I thought. Right, maybe. And and Admiral Kirk was overseeing it and stuff, and obviously Scotty had involvement in it. And Captain or no. Decker. Captain Decker was overseeing it, not, not Kirk. Uh, but, okay. So, there was a comic where it was Kirk that was overseeing the refit. So, uh, which is interesting. I just realized that isn't exactly, that continuity doesn't jive 100%. Right. Because I remember that comic where they were showing Kirk actually in his office... With the refit Enterprise sitting there like a model kind of thing, and he's like running the refit, and that does not jive with the movie. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember that comic. I know that yeah. annual number two had uh, started integrating some of the movie stuff into it. So I think they even have Decker in there in the pajamas, and Scotty's now grown out a mustache and things like that. But yeah. um, but I don't remember. I don't remember that office scene. Yeah, 
And that might have been produced before the movie came out. I don't know, but... Um, yeah, one of the comics we did. Hmm. Oh, well. That's what Kirk was doing. I thought the artwork was pretty good. Only, I gotta say, those younger versions of Scotty, uh, when they were on that colony especially, that didn't look like James Doohand. I'm sorry. Now, the face of Kirk uh, in certain panels, you know, that, that pretty much looked like the Shat. But I don't think virtually any of those panels, especially in that time period where he's got the red shirt, red tunic and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that looks like J- James Doohan at all. Right, I agree. It doesn't really look like him. Yeah. But, I don't know, he's also supposed to be, what, 14 years old? Uh, oh, further back? Oh, you're, you're talking about the... Uh, the uh, I'm talking about when they're, they're on the, the colony. Teenagers? Or the no, okay. Colony. Oh, oh, oh! When when they uh, kick down the door and find right, him. yeah, uh, yeah. I thought it yeah, looked because, a little bit like because that should look like James. Really, you think so? Okay. Uh, in some panels, some panels. Okay. No, you're right. It doesn't. Yeah. Like when they're fighting. Well, when they're fighting, man, uh, Scotty looks pretty burly, but that Angus guy looks like an absolute brute. He looks like a yeah. linebacker. Kind of looks like the Hulk, especially since he's wearing a green. Oh, yeah, tunic, a little tunic. bit. Yeah. Especially in that one where he gets hit by Scotty and Angus goes, Urk. <laughs> he, yeah, he looks kind of hulky. Yeah, that's true. So the uh, the art in this one was done by Kurt Swan, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Who is a, uh, was a very prolific um, comic book artist going right. all the way back to, oh, I don't know, 40s. Huh? He's really big into Superman and Superboy oh, and, cool. and things like that. So. Yeah, the the style is very familiar to me. I mean, the the, the style of artistry looks very uh, familiar and al- older comics, right? You know, or golden age. I'm not. I'm, I don't know. If it's golden age. I, I know there's official golden age of comics kind of things, and I'm probably mislabeling it. But older stuff. That's what it looks like. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, good. I, it's good stuff. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's classic for a reason. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting that we're doing these two issues, uh, this one, and then next we're going to be doing the John Byrne um, one, because Kurt Swan drew Superman for so long, and Mm -hmm. then, so like in the early 80s, anytime you saw Superman, it was always the Kurt Swan version of Superman. Superman. And then they did the Crisis on Infinite Earths, and then they rebooted Superman uh, going forward with uh, John Byrne. So John Byrne then did Superman going forward, and then he kind of looked a little bit more like Christopher Reeve and, and, and a little bit like that. So mm-hmm. it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, when you think of the 80s and you think of Superman, beginning of the 80s, it's always Kurt Swan Superman, and end of the 80s, it's always John Byrne Superman. Mm. And then today, we're doing two Star Treks by both of them. Yeah. Nice little Quite symmetry. a quinky dink. Right. Quite a quinky dink. Cool. Well, that's all I have to say about this one. I enjoyed it. It's quite nice. It was, it was a welcome change from right. from most stories you get uh, with the Star Trek comic books. No, I enjoyed I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk about the cover real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, the the art with the the main art, the older Scotty and the uh, and Gwen kissing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about the picture, but it seems like Scotty's uh, mustache ah! carries over a little too much on her lip. Yeah, she looks like she's got a little a little mustache, like a little Hitler mustache. Yeah. 
<laughs> that or his his mustache is much fuller and and bushier <laughs> than I'm used to thinking of. Well, so it's actually kind of it's a manly mustache. Yeah, but was it really that thick? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they drew it too far to the left. Right. They should have stopped earlier. Right. Now, also on the cover, you see she is standing behind him in a Starfleet uniform, right? It it looks like it, yeah. I mean, it looks like an engineering radiation uniform instead of being like white silver kind of thing, like Scotty's. It's mm-hmm. red. Right. So was that... Is that a radiation suit, or is that just uh, like a landing party? Uh, it, lo- it looks coat. like a landing party. Okay, so it's like a, a landing party jacket. Right. But she was never in Starfleet, right? No. So I don't, that that makes me wonder. Right. I don't get that. Yeah. So what would you think of the dancing scene, the little montage on oh. page 35? <laughs> with, uh, with the manly kilton. Yeah. Um, I think it looks like an Archie comic or, <laughs> you know, something like that. But I, I think the, it's good. I like it. It's yeah, fine. I mean, for what it is, where it's trying to depict, uh, you know, young love kind of thing, mm-hmm. I, I like it. But in a Star Trek book, it's not what you would expect oh, no. for a page of Star Trek. No. No. But that is a full page montage. And it's pretty cool. So you got the two... You got the uh, the two dance partners in the middle, and it's kind of big. And then all around it, there are six little mini drawings of them in various uh, dancing poses. Right. And they look like they're having a great time. And I like that her her shirt, I guess it's a shirt, vest, whatever it is, uh, has the same tartan that uh, his kilt does. Yeah, right. And so does that mean vest, they're related? I, I, I hope not. <laughs> I don't think it means that they're related, but um, they definitely did coordinate ahead of time. Right. I mean, this seems like a last-minute switcheroo where yeah. Angus sweeps in, right? Yeah, so like, it's, he's like on his way to the, the dance, and he's uh, like, oh, my date's now with Angus? I got to stuck with this little girl? Exactly. Um, who ends up being the best thing you ever had, Scotty. But how did they have time to coordinate on their <laughs> outfits like that? I don't know. Well, uh, well, then we find out that you know a few years earlier she was already in love with him, so maybe she planned it from the beginning. Oh my God! Now what's Scotty wearing? I gotta, I gotta get that ensemble. Yeah, I just, some of the matches, just in case my boyfriend decides to leave me for somebody else. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, it's, it's sweet. Story. It was a good it's story. Sweet. It's all, it's all good. All right, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't have anything else either. So you want to move on to? Uh, New Visions? Please, let's do it. All right. So this is New Visions number three, which is the photo novels that John Byrne's been doing for the last year or so. So this has a cover date of August 2014 and uh, has two issues, so or two stories. One is called Cry Vengeance, which is a photo montage and story by John Byrne based on The Doomsday Machine by Norman Spinride. And the next one is um, called Robot, which is a photo novel by John Byrne. All right, so the cover shows the Enterprise flying over the Doomsday Machine towards a rocky asteroid that looks a little bit like a face. Uh, There's two inset photos. One shows four crewmen in their environmental gear. The other one shows a very retro-looking robot with the letters 
ALX-1 on his chest. So the first story is called Cry Vengeance. This takes place immediately after the episode Doomsday Machine. The Enterprise continues to scan the hulking husk of the planet-destroying creature. A much smaller Federation ship called the SS Charles Darwin arrives to continue the study of the creature, and the Enterprise is allowed to leave on its continuing mission. Scotty is still working on the battered engines, so it'll be a slow go to where no man has gone before, for at least a little while. Once they are far enough away, the Darwin suddenly sends out an SOS. The Enterprise races back as fast as it can, but it is too late. The Darwin has been destroyed. Scans confirm that it was not the Doomsday Machine brought back to life. The Enterprise herself is suddenly attacked, but the blasts just seem to appear next to the ship, as if they were teleported there, and they could find no evidence of a ship. After a few more hits, Kirk orders all thrusters for a lateral move, and it works. Finally, one of the shots do not strike home. After a few more dodges, Spock is able to scan the space and finds a cloaked ship. Perhaps as old as the Doomsday Machine itself, which they speculate is about 4 million years old. Kirk speculates that this ship was some sort of escort to the Doomsday Machine and that it was supposed to provide cover for the much larger ship, but obviously it failed at its job. They speculate that it must have a computer controlling the ship, and they wonder why it is endangering its own survival to continue the attack on the Enterprise. They also speculate that perhaps the computer must have gone faulty after these last four million years. The Enterprise is contacted by the ship. It seems to be a biological voice and not a robotic one, which then throws out the computer theory. The voice claims that they are thieves of its vengeance. Very loud. On screen, a rocky-looking alien appears and tells them that they will be punished, and he starts his attack up again. Since the creature will continue until his ship literally falls apart, and the Enterprise has no hope of hurting it, Kirk orders the Enterprise to start running, and the alien creature follows. Over time, the alien ship falls more and more apart, until it is actually dead in space. Kirk, McCoy, Spock, and Chekhov beam over to investigate. Once there, they find a huge building-sized creature. It asks if they're there to gloat. But they assure the monster that they only want to help. The alien then talks about the creation of the Doomsday Weapon millions of years ago. Two planets were at war. One then created the machine that ends up not only destroying the enemy, but also the creator itself. The alien took it upon himself to find it and make amends by destroying it. He would go into hibernation and only wake up for a single day every thousand years or so and continue his search for it. Now, he is very upset that the Enterprise has destroyed the thing that has been driving him all these years. The alien knows that it's time for him to die. The Starfleet crew offer help, but they cannot provide any. So they beam back to the Enterprise just in time to watch the alien craft explode. Leon. What an interesting premise for a story. I kind of like that. I love the Doomsday Machine episode. Mm-hmm. So Burns said, hey, well, what happened if you actually 
went a little further to find out what happened after the episode and had an opportunity to actually meet the creators of the Doomsday Machine. I thought it was very interesting. Right. Uh, there were details of the actual execution I wasn't as crazy about, but I think it's a good idea for a story. No, I thought it was good, uh, yeah. and I liked the uh, I liked the creature design a lot. Yeah. So what? Yeah, he was like a lizard kind of thing, rocky lizard. Was kind he? Of he looked thing? like a like a rock. I don't know. Maybe uh, a lizard. Maybe like a like a desert type lizard. I don't know. Yeah. He uh, he had an interesting face. But he's and, huge. And he's huge. I'm so happy to see that because usually, you know, occasionally we'll get like a 10-foot tall alien, but never have we seen an alien like this. Right. He Maybe. is. He, 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 I mean, how big would he, he's at least 10 times the size of, of a man. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, because when they, when they appear, they're like standing on his console. Right. <laughs> they're like little puppets like yeah you know, like, little, like, like he's like let's say little figures king kong size yeah right maybe not quite godzilla size but yeah at least king kong size pretty, now, I, pretty I, big, I, big. I will say considering how old his uh his ship and probably clothes are they look pretty good he's got a nice looking blue cape on looks in pretty good shape i didn't notice the cape yeah well got like a purple shiny material tunic and he's got oh, a nice yeah, looking yeah. blue cape anyway the guy's huge right. and, very, and very different very interesting right so this is obviously something that john byrne did not just uh copy and paste out no. of uh, an existing episode right so i loved it i loved that he created this creature i, I don't know how he did it um but he did it in a way that it looks like it fit in the old 60s show. It looked like maybe something's, you know, some sort of makeup job that they could have potentially have done. Right. You know, it didn't look too modern. Mm, uh, no. it, it fit in really well, I thought. It was pretty yeah. seamless. Yeah, the only thing, the look of it, I don't know whether it's high-res uh, rendering or what he's doing, but it looks like it's a photo. Right. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it looks like it's a cast model of a headset or something and he just took a photo of it and then put it in which probably is not the case but it looks realistic i mean realistic it it looks photo realistic obviously it's an alien but right but if it wasn't like that if it didn't look like a screen grab from something else yeah it wouldn't have fit the aesthetic of this book true that is true so and there is one spot in this book that i thought could have used a little bit more work, and that was the Darwin. It it, it looked like a oh, drawing yeah. that was kind of like yeah, I completely agree. Uh, pasted above. Well, exactly. I completely agree. It looks like it's artwork, and not really overly great artwork. Right. So and, uh, yeah, it just doesn't quite fit the rest of the photo novel feel. No, I mean it's basically the Darwin is superimposed on top of the Enterprise. The Enterprise looks like it's you know it's it's screen captures or photos from the right. original uh, show. And then you've got this very obviously either it's uh, a low-res generated kind of thing or maybe it's hand-drawn. I don't know. But um, the Darwin... And, and Darwin is an interesting shape. I mean, it looks like it's a Budweiser can for the secondary <laughs> hull. And then it's got the... Instead of a saucer section, it's got a, a sphere... Kind of right. like uh, Dr. Crusher's medical ship. Right. I forgot the name of that one. Uh, um, that was the Pasteur. The Pasteur. There you go. 
Uh, and then it's got like a, like a little tunnel kind of thing going back to the Budweiser can. And then it's got uh, the two nails, nacelles uh, on skinny little stalks like, you know, traditional Taws Enterprise. Right. Yeah, no, um, I, I like the design. Mm-hmm. I, I thought the design fit, you know, what we saw is like medical ships and stuff from sure. Star Trek right. with the, the sphere instead of a saucer section. Right. But, but yeah, it just it did not fit that, that panel. No. Just something was, something was off. Yeah. And what's the deal with the back of the uh, Budweiser can? Yeah, with the big target? Yeah, it's right. A bullseye? It, exactly. It looks kind of like a bullseye. Um, yeah, no, I don't no. know. I don't know. I don't know. I like that he was introducing a ship that we'd never seen because, to be honest, we never saw any ships in the original series except for Constitution-class ships mm-hmm. yep. uh, and shuttles. So I, I like that he put it in there. Mm-hmm. I like that technically it fits the aesthetic of what we know were other ships of that time. Right. But just uh, just that panel, just it just seems seems a little off. Yeah. But the alien, on the other hand, I thought, you know, you could tell it was a copy and paste type Photoshop job like the rest of the book, but it fit. It it didn't take me out of the out of the story at all. Right. I, speak- if anything, it drew me more into it because I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> And uh, another person that was probably not in the original series, but some actress or somebody that Byrne got to be in it, is Captain Obia, the captain of the Darwin. Right. Because I don't remember seeing her ever before in talks. No, no she didn't. She didn't she, look familiar. Right. So she looks like, a, you know, probably somebody Byrne got to, got to do it and get in the uh, outfit. Well, he doesn't even need to get her in the outfit. Just copy-paste. Yeah, put her head on somebody else's body. Could be. I don't recognize that uniform, though. Oh, okay. It's a cream, cream, light, 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 light gray kind of thing. Right. But it probably, it, it, yeah. Well, whatever. And, of course, we'll see, well, when we get to the, to the next story, uh, I am interested in your opinion of the doctor, the new doctor, uh, the one that creates the robot. Sure. Okay. Because I don't recognize her from Taws, but I could be wrong. Okay. So speaking of not recognizing from from Taws, um, the communication officer in this one is not Ahura. Oh, no. That, yeah. who, who is she? Yeah, she? She's the one that was the communications officer in, um, in the episode Doomsday Machine. Ah, okay. And yeah. take a look at her. She – you remember we – was it Peter Pan? Right, that had right. the blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman as the comm officer that instead they were of Ahura. Ahura. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, it kind of looks like her. It does. Yeah. So when I was okay. reading this, I was like, "Oh yeah, she, there was that episode when she was the where she was the comm officer." I wonder. You know, she looks a lot like that Peter Pan comm officer. I wonder if that's where they got her from. I wonder if that is where they got her from. What if it yeah. wasn't racist at all? It was just they got some. Uh... No, it was racist. No. Yeah, it was racist. Nah, they probably got a picture oh, of on. this woman. This is the communications officer. And then the dialogue didn't yeah, get changed. Uh, but they're still using Ahura's name. Yeah, right. The dialogue didn't get changed. Ugh. The artist racist. only doing what he knew. Racist? No. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to judge people. Well, yes, I am racist. But um, no, no, not at all. Um, I 
She was on one episode. I'm pretty sure just one episode. Maybe that was the one episode that was that he on happened to see? that week. He's like, you know what? I'm supposed to draw this Star Trek thing next week. Let me uh, let me watch that episode today. And he fired up NBC, watched it, and was like, oh, okay. NBC. White chick. Is it, wasn't it on NBC originally? Originally, but that's not when that comic was drawn. Was it? I don't know. It was that on, was like in the 70s or It was the early 70s, 80s yeah. or something. Yeah. Anyway. So, but yeah, I wonder if that's where they got the, uh, the inspiration for that comm officer. Right. Right. Yeah, I looked through here. I couldn't see where they actually called her by name. They just oh, referred to her they... as lieutenant. Oh, okay. Because I, I knew they at least called her lieutenant. But... Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, this was the only one we had her in, I think. Right. And it fits. I mean, you're saying that she was in Doomsday Machine, so... Yeah. Fit. Yeah, I didn't remember. So why is Ahura not in that one? I don't know. She had a singing gig? I'm not sure. Her name is Lieutenant Palmer. He does he does call her by name on page twenty. Oh, okay. Palmer. Cool. Anyways, um I hate that they didn't uh weren't able to save the alien creature. Yeah, but look how old he is. And then now he has nothing to keep him going. Exactly. So But I liked how they humanized him, like right right before he knew he was about to die, he's called up a hologram of his I guess his wife or whatever. Right. Right, I, I thought that I thought that was awesome. I mean, they didn't have to do that. They could have just made him the crazy alien that was out for vengeance. But no, right. they they gave him a backstory. He had a he had a job that kept him alive all these years, and now that it's complete, right, he's willing to go off to be with the rest of his planet. Yeah, and the idea that he's taking responsibility for stopping that machine. Of his own race's creation, which has wrought such havoc, um, destroyed his planet, destroyed the enemy's planets, destroyed more of their planets. I mean, destroyed maybe their entire race. And then he launches himself after the thing across the gulf of space between galaxies. That's a huge amount of space. Um, right. I do find it interesting. It's amazing. That he says he only wakes up once every thousand years to kind of do a course correction or whatever. Yeah. That seems like a long time in between yeah. Uh, yeah, if wake you were, ups. If you were off course, he would be way off course. Your, your, mach- your, your ship had better be able to follow that thing. And think all about by how itself. much damage the Doomsday Machine has done in that four million years that, you know, maybe if you weren't napping, you know, all those thousands of years, you could have stopped it earlier and saved other races. Yeah, but I think what they were saying is it took a long time to get between galaxies. Sure. Unlike, apparently, no time at all for our reboot, our reboot uh, Enterprise can magically get between galaxies in no time at all. But, between galaxies? I've never seen that. Across the galaxy, but I don't Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Going you're to right. another galaxy. You're right, you're right. Uh, reboot just had, us, had them going into, what, the Delta Quadrant? Right. And then back. And then without, back. Without, without With no warp. explanation. And without warp drive. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I hope they build at least fix that much. But Okay. But the thing is, going between galaxies, there's usually a lot, a big gap of space. So sure. while it was doing that, it probably didn't kill any new planets because there weren't any planets between the galaxies. Mm. 
So did he wake up the day after the Doomsday Machine uh, was destroyed by coincidence, or did he get like a little alarm that said, uh, oh yeah, you might need to wake up a little early this time because the Doomsday Machine's been killed. Or we've just entered a galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, hey, there's star systems around here instead of endless open nothingness. Right. Right. It just seems odd that, I mean, if they, I kind of wish they wouldn't have mentioned the whole hibernation and and things like that, because it just brings up too many questions. Well, but it also makes How effectively were you really searching for it? Exactly. Well, yeah, and you, you think he could just stay in hibernation, period. I mean, if your ship cannot keep track of that large, hulking doomsday machine, uh... Waking up every thousand years isn't going to help much. Right. If you start drifting in like in the first ten years, by the time you wake up, <laughs> a thousand years hence. You're way off. Way off. So, um, so yeah. Anyway, so I, I thought it was very interesting that the uh, Doomsday Machine was going between galaxies and uh, just fascinating. And I think the computer generated, or maybe it was, maybe he drew it somehow. Because this is, this is not photos of the Doomsday Machine uh, in a lot of this comic. Oh, really? Yeah, so page 25, for example, where they're actually showing the Doomsday Machine going between galaxies and stuff. Oh, yeah. That's, that's not photos from the, uh, from the Taw show. I mean, he, Byrne created it. And it looks kind of cool, but you can tell it's not the same thing. Yeah, it looks like a nail almost. Or like a bullet. It looks like a bullet, exactly. So where the TV show looked like a paper... I'm sure this is what it was. A paper mache kind of cone that was very irregular shape towards the back. This thing is very um, very smooth. You know, not irregular shaped. You know, it's... Right. Yeah. Mm. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, they, they use real photos of the, uh, from the TV show at the beginning of the issue story. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't even notice that, that the ship itself looked smoother at the beginning. Yeah. Well, actually, the beginning, the beginning looks closer to the original. No, I'm saying the beginning of, the, of its lifetime, of the oh. machines. I, in the flashback, I didn't catch that the Doomsday Machine itself looked different. Until you just mentioned it, but yeah, you're right. Oh, it's well, really okay. So that's a good thing that that's a good thing that I didn't notice either. <clears throat> so right. So when he was leaving the other galaxy, and when it was destroying everything, it was very smooth and very symmetrical. But by the time we see it in our galaxy, it's a little bit more crinkled, a little bit more scarred. Yeah, right. Which they do mention that it was scarred, but I just. Yeah. I didn't well, pay that much attention to the art to to realize how how different they do they do look. Right, good point. Anyway, but obviously it looks different enough that Spock's analysis of the hull damage is where he came up with the estimate that it's three million years old. Right, I thought they said like, four. wow. Uh, I think they said three, but whatever. Oh well, three, four. I don't think it matters much. <laughs> That's pretty old. Pretty old. All right, and then my last comment is the uh, the alien itself is him willing to just keep attacking and attacking and attacking and chasing the Enterprise, even though his ship was falling apart. 
Um, I mean, I get that he was obsessed with this for, you know, 300 of his years because he's asleep most yeah. of it. Right. But uh, that he's willing to just destroy himself to be able to uh, destroy something else just, just because he's having a temper tantrum. Yeah, I uh, agree. Didn't. I mean, it was interesting, but uh, it didn't paint him in the most favorable light. Oh, no. But it sounds like anybody, any race that would build, of course, I know we built the atomic bomb, but we kind of had to concerning World War II. But maybe any race that's willing to build such a destructive machine as the Doomsday Machine is maybe a very uh, emotional, a very uh, fiery burning kind of uh, creatures. Who knows? Mm. Right. Uh, because it made no sense to me. I mean, everything you just said, it made no sense. I mean, basically, Kirk and company did what he couldn't. They killed it. I mean, right. we did your dirty work for you. And you're attacking us. What a jerk. <laughs> um, but then he does, he, the, the alien has the line about, uh, you know, I had the right to kill it, not you. And you took it away from me. It's like, really? Man, you're... Oof. We did your dirty work for you, pal. You should be happy. Anyway, and of course they were so, like, uh, towards the end they were trying to help it and everything. But, you know, they did... He did kill the Darwin. And all, all people on board. So. Right. Remember yeah. that. That's true, because he was throwing his little temper tantrum. I exactly. didn't get to kill the whale. That's right. So I'll kill uh, you. I'll kill you. Right. It is sad. Yeah, I did just read a, a news article. Well, quote-unquote news. Hmm. Um, but it was about a, uh, a hunter who was in a deer, a deer blind or something like that. Yeah. Not having much luck. And then uh, somebody's pet dogs came into the area. Oh. And he shot them just because he wanted to shoot something. Oh. Even though he knew whose dogs they were. Oh. What a jerk. Yeah. Made that's, him a real, jerk. that's a real story, huh? Yeah, it was, it, was on, it was on the internet, so of course it's true. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I was kind of, you know, and, and obviously the writer had, was very biased against you shouldn't be shooting anything, especially these beautiful dogs. But, um, so, you know, you don't know the whole story. Right. But... But, he, yeah, the way they were writing the story, they were depicting as he just wanted to kill something. Yeah. So that's kind of like this alien. He just wanted to kill something. Mm. Waited 5,000 years for it. Four, no, 4 million years. Anyways. Four or 3 million years. 3 million years. It was a long time. <laughs> Once you go over 2 million, it's all just make believe. It's all the same. <laughs> it's all the same. Uh, all right. You ready to go to the last story in the let's do it this uh, episode all right so this one's entitled robot well did you have anything i don't want to cut you off no well that's it okay sorry all right the second story in this issue is entitled robot again a photo story by john byrne hold on i accidentally closed out my synopsis okay here nope. it is so a woman by the name of Dr. Ursula Becker arrives in the Enterprise arrives in the Enterprise transporter room. And she is with a she also was beamed over with a large metal case. She immediately recognizes Mr. Kyle and calls him Blue. 
She quickly composes herself and then opens the case to reveal a very retro-looking robot named ALX-1, which I will call Alex from going forward. She feels that this is the first step in having a AI interact with the crew, and she purposely made it look like a toy so that people would not see it as a another human. So Spock and McCoy request to scan Alex before it is allowed to have free reign over the ship. Dr. Becker and Alex agree. Once everybody leaves the transporter room, McCoy stays back to hear from Kyle about Dr. Becker. And Kyle informs the doctor that uh, he and Dr. Becker were once a item and that they broke up many years ago. While the robot is being interrogated by Dr. McCoy and Spock, Dr. Becker bumps into Kyle. And she lets Kyle know that she's ready to start things up again with a huge smooch. Alex proves himself loyal to Dr. Becker, almost to a fault. When Alex is allowed to leave, he finds Dr. Becker in her quarters and she's upset. She says that Kyle hurt her when he did not return her affections. Alex says, he hurt you? Later, McCoy and Kirk are called to Kyle's quarters. When they arrive, they find Kyle laying on the ground bleeding, and Alex kneeling over him with blood on its hand. Kyle ends up being okay, but when he wakes up, he can't remember being attacked. The obvious suspect is Alex, and he's being investigated, or he's being interrogated, but he refuses to answer any of Spock's questions, saying that he has the right to remain silent. Spock points out that since he's just a robot, he has no rights. But he is eventually able to leave. Later, or actually, no, he's not able to leave. Later, Dr. Becker arrives to the brig, and she says she's going to kill Alex because she cannot risk him saying anything. Spock arrives and nerve pinches the woman before she can fire a phaser. Alex, inside of the brig, rushes towards the force field and stuns himself, uh, I guess in an attempt to save her or to attack Spock. It's unclear. Until we get to the epilogue where we find out that Dr. Becker herself is the one who attacked Kyle, and that Alex all this time was only trying to protect his friend, since he truly has sentience. The end. Ah, So it's the human that was the bad person, and hurt Kyle with a blunt metal object inside of his, uh, inside of his quarters. Yes, well, um, not surprising, not surprising, and Alex was the cool guy. Well, um, I, I thought this was an okay story, mm-hmm. it was but, good. you know, it's serviceable, but it's not like, uh, I think it's really great. I liked how uh, John Byrne made Alex, and again, made it into that very retro 60s style, Yeah, and fit him into these scenes so that, you know, you could buy that this robot would have been walking around on the Enterprise, even though it's a special effect that they could have never done back then. No, but it, it, I mean, it does look, 
the robot does look a little cheesy. Sure. You know, it, it you can tell it's not where everything else is fo- like you mentioned in the previous one. Everything else is photorealistic because it's mostly photos. But you can tell Alex is not. So right. he sticks out a little bit. But he sticks out in the in, in a the good right way. way. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he should I mean, he looks like what the sixties would have done to make a robot man. Yeah. I mean, and it looks jo- very like Buck Rogers type yeah. uh type look to him. He's very shiny. You know, he's got two arms and two legs and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, you would never mistake him for a human being. No. And that was part of the point they made. So Dr. Becker's approach is to make a robot that doesn't look like a human because people think robots that look too much like humans are there to replace them and they feel awkward and people are more comfortable with this retro-looking robot. And all I got to say is, really? This thing is big. It's tall. I think it's scary, or it could be scary. I mean, I don't think he looks that much different, except for the glowing red eye going back and forth, <laughs> than a Cylon. So uh, this is Dr. Becker's point and, and why she took this approach to building the robot, and I don't agree with it. I think that could be plenty scary to people. Only people who've seen Terminator. Oh, Terminator. There's another example. Yes. <laughs> Terminator, uh, Cylons, uh you know, take your pick. I mean, this is the way robots used to be depicted back in the day. Right. Except for on Taz, because on Taz, even though we know from Next Generation, Data is supposed to be the first android that looks human, but on Taz... There know, were a few. There's probably every other episode there now was some sort of android. Other. Now it wasn't. Oh, there's quite episode. a few. There's quite a few. There, It wasn't every other episode. No, you're right. It's not every other. So what, Muds, Muds Women? Muds Women had the robots that looked like people. But that right. was some alien cre- alien race created that. And then there was the androids that were made by... Uh, oh, that... Shore Leave? Oh, yeah, I forgot about those. Those those, <laughs> those were robots of some kind. And then there was also the one with Lurch. Uh, oh, right, 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 Lurch. Yeah. So uh, what are little girls little made of? Little girls made out so of, right, yeah. 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 So right there, just off the top of our head, we came up with three. A few, a few, a few. Yeah. So being a fan of the movies and then Next Generation and then the original series, you could see where I was always a little put off when those episodes came on because I was like, what? Androids? Human-looking androids that aren't yellow and data? Ah. <laughs> I, I call BS. Yeah. Well, they came first, so call, sure, call your BS, BS on next gen. Yeah. Retroactively, yes, I have to do that. But uh... <laughs> yeah, but most of those were not created by by Earth humanity. Most of them, right? Although Lurch, what was Lurch? Lurch was created. Was he another alien race guy? No, he was. He was one of the androids that were was in that. What little girls were made out of? Okay. He was like the protector of. The main robot woman. Right. And then they... But was that alien tech? Oh, then they tech? made one of Kirk, right? Exactly. Kirk. So were they using alien tech, though, to create yeah, so. those replicants or whatever you want to call them? Yeah. So, yeah, you can make an alien... You can make an android look exactly like a person by putting them on a turntable. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably like a leftover from the Batman TV series. Just <laughs> yeah, but you saw it. It happened. <laughs> they, they 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 just put that lumpish look of you know human shaped lump of clay or something, and they spun it around. And it looked like Kirk, and it worked. That's right. You saw it. 
that that one is interesting to watch in HD now because you can see a lot more of Naked Kirk than I think you probably could have when that show was originally aired because you're uh-huh. only supposed to be naked in that, and there's only like a little uh, bar thing over like the a bar uh, thing around the hip section. Yeah, right, but right, right. while he's spinning, there's a couple of shots where you're like, I was like, I wonder if you really tried if you could see if he's like wearing shorts or something. Ah. <laughs> I've never tried, but... Boxers, briefs, something. Something. Anywho. So you wanted to talk about uh, Dr. Ursula Becker? Yeah. Okay, so her face looks familiar. Very familiar. But I don't think that outfit looks familiar. Um, Her, like, what is it, uh, three-color outfit? So it's, like, green... And uh, like a red fuchsia kind of thing, and then like a blue kind of thing, and there's like different, you know, sections of the dress she's in. There's different colors. I don't. It's like it's it's like her face they might have taken from Star Trek, but then they put it on a different body or a different uniform or outfit anyway. But who who whose face would it be? She, because she looks so familiar. She does look familiar. I mean, I think I think she might have been on Star Trek, but she didn't pay do, play Doctor Becker, and I don't think she had that outfit on. Hmm. I wish there was a way to go back and find out who John Byrne is using as model for these things. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know, but she she could be a just an actress that he got now to just you know play this part, right? But she does look familiar. So if she wasn't in Taws, she was in something else because she does not, you know, the captain from the previous one never saw her before. No. This lady, we both saw her somewhere. Yeah, I can't, I can't place where I've seen her. Yeah. Well, but yeah, I was wondering if she's just a modern actress or model that they put on the, you know, a '60s wig and '60s makeup. But they do a good <laughs> job because, I mean, she looks it like looks she good. belongs in these panels. Sure. It's not like suddenly a uh, 2016-looking person right. standing next to Kirk, like uh, like in Trials and Tribulations, you know, where you saw Cisco standing next to Kirk, and right. you know, even though they're standing next to each other, it still looked like somebody from 2000-something next to next to a modern-day person, <laughs> right? <laughs> where the quality of the image is a bit better with Cisco, right? Yeah. Um, another thing though, I notice looking a little bit more I'm on page 33 and I'm looking at a couple panels with her, mm-hmm. uh, her hair looks totally fake. I mean, everything below the top of her head. So oh, yeah, wow. on that page. Yeah, you're right on 35. Yeah. So I'm looking at almost every, Oh my gosh. I, I don't know whether I'm just the angle I'm looking at, but that middle panel with McCoy in it too. Right. No, you're it, it looks right. like somebody took a brown magic marker and just extended her hair. Yeah, that looks bad. That's bad. I did not notice it the first time. Well, I noticed the other panels that was kind of like, oh, not great, but I can kind of notice it. But that, wow. There's not yeah. even there's not even any attempt to like feather it like hair. It's just like two shades of brown just colored in. Yeah, that McCoy one. And then on the next page, on page uh actually on page thirty five, yeah. It it looks like it's just black at one part. 
like he kind of did it with 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 its black, and then it has like two little splotches of brown in it. Yeah, right. No, huh. no, I did not know. So, first, first Burns excellent at this. <laughs> I, I I'm in great admiration of of this. However, uh, like for instance, Ky- uh, Kyle, Lieutenant Kyle. It's mm-hmm. like I don't remember. I mean, yeah, he was a regular, but you know, he didn't get much screen time. Uh, I don't remember any episode that he was any, but anything more than just a background character. So bravo that Byrne has made him, you know, like a, an active character in here. But I'm just amazed that he found enough footage to actually create all these scenes. Yeah. And again, maybe he had a moderate actor, like in the the red jumpsuit kind of thing, which, by the way, looks extremely comfortable. And he just kept on putting uh, Kyle's head on it. I don't know if he did, if that's what he did. Right. Well, he did say that that's what he in that first issue where he kind yeah. of explained what he was doing. He said that that was that was a tactic he used a lot. Right. But you know, Kyle wasn't in that much, but he was in a fair number of panels in this book or this right. story. Right. Which I liked. Yeah. To be honest, until you mentioned him, uh, I didn't even know he was a real he was a, a, a ongoing character. Yeah. I mean, I think we had one. One issue, and you were like, oh, I was glad to see Kyle back. And I'm like, who are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, remember, I don't remember exactly how many episodes he was in. It's like, it's like DeSalle. So DeSalle was in a few. And it's like, and they had the same actor doing DeSalle. Um, so that's cool. Um, and, you know, he's in Riley. I think Riley was only one or maybe two uh, episodes. And then right. Kyle was around, a background guy. Right. Yep. So um, I will mention one other part of this story. Um, Doctor Becker is either is really stupid because <laughs> she was going to try to shoot Alex through the force field on the brig. Yeah. What's up with that? I don't know. Uh, I I think her act. Okay. Here's my thing about her. If you might, if you don't mind me saying a few things, and I don't know whether this is sexist. Or what? But here she is, an accomplished doctor, a uh, scientist. I mean, she built this robot. I mean, she, she, she was able to build a learning machine. And what happens to her? She's become so obsessed with Kyle, you know, the transporter chief, that she's going to do things that seem a bit insane and is going to put in jeopardy all of her work, I mean, her her career, all for love or obsession from a... I don't know. It it just seemed like BS to me. And a very old flame, because Kyle acts like it was years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. Why she went off did her thing, created this achievement, and then willing to throw it all away to... Well, I mean, I guess she thought that he would reciprocate, and then out of passion, she hit him on top of the head and ran out. This is more than passion. I mean, that that or all, she's just an unhinged person, period. And so when she came into this situation, it really got her going. But... And maybe she's been too obsessed with uh, putting Alex together. That she's just been in the lab too long. I don't know. 
But it right. just it just her her actions and her and what she's doing just didn't make a lot of sense to me. No. Something's wrong with her brain. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she can build a brain, but she can't help her own brain. So whatever. Yeah, and I still don't completely believe the what she was saying about uh the reason why she made him look so robotic. Yeah. I mean, I know that that's a thing where people are put off by fake things that look like human. Yeah. But uh but still. I don't. Do you think it's that much better? Right. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. okay, so so you don't have that part. It looks like a, it looks like a human. That's that's freaky. That that kind of ooky. Okay, so you don't have that going, but you still got this this hulking silver thing that looks pretty powerful. No. Yeah, squishy. Squishy like a bug. So it seems like uh, Spock has a pretty good relationship with Alex. Um, why? Oh, because they're well, they're both cold they're and robotic? Inter- well, yeah, they're interacting a lot. I mean, they're spending a lot of time together. Yeah, know? but he's like trying to almost like try to prove that he's a real boy. Yeah. Yeah, I have a right to remain silent. Actually, you're not a human being, so no, you don't. Right. Hello. So, yeah, so for a robot with sentience that probably has, like, data-like uh, knowledge right. uh, that he can never forget, you know, encyclopedias worth of knowledge, he doesn't seem to know law very well. Right. Well, he's been taught by Becker, and as we know, she's she's not She's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that scene reminded me of uh, the Will Smith movie I Robot. Okay, where yeah. uh, he's interviewing the robot. Yeah, but in that one, the robot ends up kind of getting a little angry. But but here, it's just like he's he stays cool. Yeah, even when he's told he's not a real person with no rights. Right, he turns out to be pretty cool all the way around. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll see him again. Maybe because they didn't say he was destroyed when he went into the force field. They just. Right. Did they really even say? Uh, they... Yeah, there at the end they say he, he got quite a shock, but he'll be okay. Okay, because he's very redundant. Right. So his brain is like all over his body or something. Yeah. Instead of just being in the head, like Data. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You're sure. thinking too much of it. Could have well, just been, uh, he's backed up on a, on a flash drive in, in, uh... <laughs> in her luggage. Hey, if they can't build, back up Data, they can't back up Alex. Why did uh why did he come in that big giant case just for the big reveal? Well, you want a fancy carrying case for your uh for your really cool robot toy. I guess so. I don't know, and that looked pretty fake too. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, when she beamed over I was like, dang, women carry a lot of luggage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, could somebody help me with this? It's a little heavy, thanks. It would have been funny when she beamed over and she says blue, and then he's like, and then she's like, oh no, I'm sorry, uh, blah blah blah, and then and then Kirk's like, um, Doctor Becker, you know you're here only for the weekend, right? You don't need that much luggage. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, let me sh- introduce you to Alex. That would have been funny. Yeah, and why does she call him blue anyway? Because of his eyes or something? Yeah, I have mean, no that, idea. Blue I wish sounds like something. That. Blue is something. Blue is a name you'd give a dog. Right. That that likes clues. Not, not a guy, not not a boyfriend. Right. 
yeah, wish they would have explained that. I would have, I would have liked this one to have been more like uh, that, the uh, annual number three that we just read, where maybe a little bit of flashbacks to oh boy, to Kyle and Doctor Becker when they were young. And maybe <sighs> and when she they was were a little unhinged then too, <laughs> a little fatal attractionish. And they happened to, you know, win a dance contest in kilts. I didn't say it had to be exactly the same, just okay. something. Okay, okay, okay. Something that would have explained their relationship and why they broke up and why she, you know, instead of trying to be with people, she tried to make her own man. You know, there, there's, ah! there. there's more meat that could be put in this story. I do like that John Byrne puts these little, like, one-off stories at the end. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, you want to see more of it, and I'm like, mm, this is the right amount. Yeah. <laughs> um, when when they did the first uh, compilation uh, of the these issues into a graphic novel, mm-hmm. I think there is a um, an extra story in that graphic novel that wasn't released in one of the issues, and it's the '60s era Captain Kirk beaming over into an alternate universe, which is the Gold Key Universe. No, he like <laughs> appears on that type of transporter pad with the big gold, the big dome-looking thing. And uh, so, photo photos of Shatner, right? Walking around the walking gold key around scene. in the one hundred percent drawn gold key scenes. Ah, oh, man, it's been so long. I, I've seen it, but I haven't read it, so okay. I, I don't okay. know. But. You could definitely tell that's what it is. And it shows the Enterprise with the fire coming out of the nacelles. Ah! I mean, awesome. <laughs> uh, we'll have to find out make sure that it's not in one of these issues. And if it's not, we'll just have to review Goal. it. Yeah, exactly. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Nope. I thought the artwork when uh, the robot was jumping through the force field looked really cool. Yeah, that that was pretty good. Lots of color, lots of... And also... Um, in the previous story, when the Enterprise was uh, getting away from the exploding um, Doomsday Machine Builder ship, mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Uh, very orangey, fiery right. background. Yeah, no, uh, hats off to John Byrne for doing all this, because, man, he, he knows what he's doing. Exactly. He knows how to make eye candy. All right, so next week we'll be back, Ken, and we're going to do uh, IDW, uh, Waypoint number two, which is a two-parter, which has, uh, I think it's the uh, Gold Key homage issue. And then uh, we'll do oh, Boldly. Cool. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And then Boldly Go number two and three. So at least two is Borg, right? If not three also. Uh, three definitely has Borg, uh, a Borg woman of some sort on the okay. cover. Okay. So we're yes. seeing what the heck the Enterprise crew can do against the Borg, considering their uh, technology, which is not even up to the point of Enterprise D. Exactly. So they're in a very bad position. To well, be able actually, to fight you know, this, this movies, the movies came, they could be more powerful than the Enterprise D. <laughs> I don't. Uh, okay. You got to admit. I don't see why. You're a little all over the place. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I guess. Okay, so you're saying that because uh, the Narada came back, that somehow technology sped up faster. No, I'm just saying the people of the movies don't want things to look retro, so it looks better. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no worries about that. But I'm just saying the level of technology. 
should be less. Should right. be less right. than next gen. Should be. Should be. They don't have should quantum. Be. They don't have quantum torpedoes yet. But they have. They don't have phasers that come out of the strip. Yes, but they have beaming technology that can take you across the universe. Well, yes. There Warp is drives that. that can take you to the other side of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, but okay. Split well, they, regardless, they, they also had just one speed in war in uh, in warp, right? Right. Which doesn't make I don't know. Doesn't make sense. Yes, you're right. Well, it doesn't make sense for the continuity of what Star Trek always was. Right. So. Right, right, right. That's my boy. Yeah. You can't just say what I've said in the past and expect me to disagree with you. <laughs> okay, Donovan. Okay, anyway. So, uh, yeah. Star Trek, yes. Boldly Go, and uh, Waypoint. That sounds perfect. Yes, Love, I'm loving it. Really digging both of those stories so far. Okay. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.